as we look at this idea of happiness, we uh, probably the, the most famous saying in our society about the word happiness is, uh, if mama ain't happy, what? Nobody's happy, right? No one in this room would argue that statement. Um, in fact, uh, some of you in seasons of life, your main mission is just whatever it takes to make mommy happy, we're going we're gonna to make mommy happy, right? And so what we do in our culture is we, we look at this idea of happiness, and we're not sure it's this thing that's really attainable. Like, is it just one of these things that just kind of comes in and, and, and goes out like the tide? Or, or this idea, how do we get it? How do we grasp it? It's something that, you know, when you're not happy, you, we all do it. I do it. Like, uh, you, you need to go buy something. You, you need to go, like, uh, I'm, I'm bad on chips and queso. Like, anybody with me here? Like, it's been a rough day. Like, I don't need a bar. I need a big thing of queso and chips, right? And just chips and queso, all I need, all I need and eat. And so that, that's why I'm at Moe's Southwest Grill four nights a week, chips and queso, all I need, all I order. So, but, but you look at this, we, we go buy new cars. We, when our old car, it doesn't meet the same need, we buy new cars, we go on vacations. We, we do all of these things because we all want a sense of happiness. We all want to feel it. We want to know it. We're not exactly sure how to describe it or put our hands on it, but when we've got it, we know what it is. Uh, about seven years ago, uh, Lauren and I didn't have any children. We moved uh, from a little townhouse in Saraland, Alabama. Uh, we've been married for two and a half years to Orlando, Florida. Give you a little perspective. If you visited uh, Saraland or Orlando, there's like 13,000 people who live in Saraland. There are 3.2 million who live in Orlando. Lauren and I grew up in towns with a combined population of 100,000 people. So you throw us in a, in a new city, and uh, in our apartment complex, there are nine different nationalities. We look like we were... Uh, at Epcot, taking a tour around the world, just in our, our apartment complex. And so we're there. We've been there eight weeks. We're, we're broke. We're in a new city. And all we want is out. Like, we're, God, we have messed up bad coming to Orlando. Like, we're, we're, we're out of here. We don't want to be here. We can't, A, we can't afford anything here. B, like, nobody here talks like us. If you, if you go down there, no one has a southern accent. Nobody knows what you're talking about when you talk about, like, college football, like Alabama, Auburn. Like, that doesn't exist outside of this state. And so you, you get down there. It's just a different world. And so it's, it's February. Um, there are two giant basketball players at the time. Uh, it was 2010. Uh, Dwight Howard, I know he's not any good anymore, but at the time he was the defensive player of the year for the Orlando Magic. And he had won several awards. He was this massive Goliath of a guy. The Magic were actually good. And uh, there's this new guy in Miami called LeBron James. He's picking up the game of basketball. He's decent. And so they come to uh, the Magic. And the Magic were playing. I've never been to an NBA game before. And, and we just want out. And I, I tell you that because, like, you can imagine uh, how many people wanted to go to this game. Like, this was one of the key matchup, marquee games. And so uh, I don't know anything about a basketball game. It can't be as much as a football game. And so, like, we, we call, hey, you have to get tickets at the box office. We just want out a night just to escape. And uh, we, we go downtown. This tells you how cheap I am. Like, there's $15 parking right next to the arena. There's $10 parking a mile and a half away to save the five bucks. We walk a mile and a half. And so we get to the stadium. And I'm at this point like, I don't care. I just want out. I want out of the city. I'm, I'm, I, I don't know where we're going to go. Go to the ticket office. 
and I've got like 80 bucks on me thinking tickets are probably 40 bucks. She goes, that's going to be $383. You know what? I don't even care. I don't, I don't got the cash. I put my, my credit card down. Hopefully there's enough money to cover it in my checking account. So we buy the tickets. I, I didn't even care where the seats were. We get in the arena, and those double letter sections, they're like UU. You know what that stands for? Like, you're at the very top. So when you look at the, the basketball court, all you see are ants dribbling a ball running around. Like, you, you, you can't even tell the height difference. You're so, you're so far up there. And we sat there, and we watched a two-and-a-half-hour game, hoping that would fix the empty brokenness, the, the depression. We get in our car a mile and a half back down, save that five bucks. I bought me a Coke with it. And so we, we get all the way down there. I get in my car, and you know what I thought? I just spent $383 on a basketball. What in the world was I thinking? Because in all of us, when we try to find our happiness in a what, it only multiplies our unhappiness. When we look to, to feel and to wrap around our happiness and our desire for happiness around a what, it always multiplies our unhappiness. For us, and just being completely honest, it was, it was an attempt to feel, like, to feel like we enjoyed something. And we enjoyed it for two and a half hours, and we get in the car, and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm $383 poorer than I was when I walked in there. It only multiplied the unhappiness. Because you and I will never find happiness in a what. It is always found in a who. Happiness is not found in a what. It's found in a who. In Psalms chapter 1, we're, we're going to read this together. We're going to unpack what Psalms 1 talks about and finding our happiness in a who. Here's what it says in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, for they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The three things we're going to look at just principles of happiness from this passage. First, real happiness is not inevitable. Real happiness is not inevitable. I want you to think about your life for this moment. Right now, the circumstances about it. If nothing changed, could you be happy for the rest of your life? Just think about it. If nothing changed about your circumstances right now, could you be happy for the rest of your life? And tell you the answer. When the benefit of something outweighs the investment put into it. Uh, you'll see this in a work. It's why you, you, you go to work and you'll change jobs or you'll get cynical about work because you think the amount of work I'm putting in, I'm not getting paid enough. Or, you know what? The, the amount of uh, time that I put in or time saving up money to buy this car, the car no longer provides me enough happiness. The law of diminishing returns says that we will ultimately not see the benefit uh, of something as it currently is. The benefit will always decrease in what we find our happiness. And so the law of diminishing returns, if in your life right now, if nothing changed, the, the human side of it says that 
you probably won't be happy for the rest of your life. You'll, you'll want something more. You'll want something new. Look at verse 1 with me again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That word blessed meaning happy. And you think about, okay, if scholars tell us that it opens up this way, the, the book of Psalms opens up, Psalms 1, happy is the man, it it literally sets the tone for the entire book of Scripture, or the entire book of the Psalms. Kind of the standard, it's the opening line. Happy is the man. Then how can we truly find happiness if it's not in evident? The first thing that we see in this is because life circumstances rob us of what we think happiness is. Life circumstances will always rob you of what you think happiness is. Look at verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, it prospers. The psalmist makes an assumption. He makes an assumption that you and I will walk through seasons of our life. We'll walk through fall. We'll walk through winter. We'll walk through spring. We'll, we'll walk through the summer. That in the middle of all of these seasons, that our circumstances will change. But if you notice what he says, he says, like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaves do not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. You will not avoid droughts in your life. You will not avoid crisis and chaos. Every one of our lives, the, the human side of, of humanity, the, the, the sinful, fallen side of humanity means that you and I will always have seasons of broken hearts. You and I will always have seasons of, that are tougher than others. You and I will, will always walk through seasons when the valley is, is too long and it's too deep. But what Psalms 1 says is that the fool, the fool tries to bounce around and he tries to avoid those seasons. While the righteous person, the happy man, he plants his root and he prepares for those things. The fool tries to avoid those seasons. And here's how, here's how you kind of do this. You kind of close your eyes and hope that nothing bad happens this week. Or, or we kind of walk through season. We, things are falling apart, but we hope they don't get any worse. Where the happy man says, I'm going to plant myself by the streams of water. That regardless of what season I'm in, regardless of what the circumstances come through, whatever the chaos comes into my world, that I'm going to stay deeply rooted right here. The happy man prepares for the chaos by planting himself mid streams of water. You see, one avoids, one prepares. Happiness is not inevitable because circumstances will constantly rob you of, of the joy that, that in a summer season or a spring season, fall and winter will always come. And so are you prepared by planting yourself by streams of water? Or are you just hoping those seasons don't come too quickly? So we see that as David writes there, he says in Psalms 4 verse 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when there are grain, and when, excuse me, verse 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. The happy man plants himself in Jesus, and here's how he does this. He, he attaches himself to Jesus because he knows that in Christ, all right, there is more happiness than when there is uh, the bank, bank account is full, when work is going well, 
when family life is pleasant, when everything is clicking on all cylinders, he is saying that life attached to Christ is better and more joyful and, and more happy than all of that other stuff combined. And so he says, plant yourself by the streams of water because happiness is not an evil. Circumstances will come up. And if we are not attached to a who, if we are attached to a what, then circumstances will rob us of our joy. Uh, the second thing we see in this text is that real happiness is not unattainable. That real happiness is not unattainable. Thomas Jefferson, uh, the author of our declaration, we, we know this statement very well. That it is the pursuit of what? Happiness. The pursuit of happiness. That everyone is, is granted life, liberty, and the pursuit of it. Thomas Jefferson, if you ever go read his journals, and, and he was a prolific writer. He, he kept a good track of just his thoughts and uh, and just what was going on in the day. And he wrestled with this idea because he could not. Happiness seemed like a, holding on to something that was just wet and slippery. He could not. He could not put his hands on it and hold on to it. And so he thought, man, maybe, maybe happiness is not something a thing or that we get to experience. Maybe it's the pursuit of it. You know, 2006, Will Smith came out with that movie, you know, The Pursuit of Happiness, and kind of this, this journey of, of finding happiness, and that it's, it's so much in the journey. But when we look at Scripture, it doesn't say that and happiness is the journey. He says that, that whatever he does, he prospers. That, that the verse, verse 3, that the tree is planted by the streams of water, that its leaves do not wither, that its fruit is produced in season. I mean, you think about it. it it's a guarantee. It, it's attainable. But we often look that real happiness is not. And so what we do is, is we try to define how do we get. When we look at happiness as just a pursuit or a process, we try to figure out, okay, how do I enjoy the moment over the attaining of happiness? And so we kind of bounce around. This hits the cultural myth of so much of us for happiness. That for most of us, the more freedom we have, we think the more happier we'll be, the happier we'll be. And when we look at our life, we say, okay, if I, if I can do this or I can do that, I'll still try to stay grounded in, in my life. But if I could just have a little bit of freedom over here where nobody's bringing accountability, where, where there are no consequences, then you know what? That, that would be happiness for me. And again, you go back to verse 3. It says that he's, happiness is not or it's bouncing around, chasing a mythical unicorn through the forest. It's, it's something that comes when we are grounded in the streams of water, streams of life. We're, the very first part, that, that we're grounded, we are attached to a who, not what. This part is very deliberate, that we are grounded by the streams of water. If we want to obtain happiness, then it is something that, that we don't just chase and run around. It is something that we obtain by being planted. Leo Tolstoy, Tolstoy made this statement. He said, is there any meaning in my life that is inevitable death awaiting, does not destroy? Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Just ask yourself that statement this morning. Is there anything in your life right now that provides happiness to you that death will not destroy? Matthew chapter 16 said, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give exchange for their soul? What good is it if we have a picture-perfect family that we can 
share and we can talk about and what good is it if we enjoy the great experiences that we would say in this life of, of traveling the world and, and having a house and land and grandkids and, and great-grandchildren. That we have everything that, that oftentimes we define as being happy. We, ha- we have a new car. We've got a high-paying job. Our, our wife doesn't age. She's just, you know, she looks 25 when she's 75. If, if we have all of that, And deep into our soul, we have never experienced the reality of happiness that lasts through any and every season of life. Jesus asked the question, what what good is it? What good is it is whatever is providing happiness to you does not last after your death. There has to be more. There has to be something greater. We look at this text. The third thing that we see in this text is that real happiness is always possible. That real happiness is always possible. It is not one of these things that just give Jesus a try or or go to church or let go and let God. Those things don't just give us happiness. Are you showing up here? And I'm just going to be honest. I I love worshiping with you on a Sunday morning. Have there been seasons in my life where, you know, church was kind of a habit? We're, We're all there, okay? For the past seven or eight months, we've been out here. I, one of my greatest joys of my week is sitting at nine o'clock and worshiping with you and being able to read God's word to you. But that will not provide you happiness. May, great joy. That will not provide you happiness. You saying, I'm just going to let go and ask God to drop happiness in my lap is not going to give you happiness. You saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up and I'm just going to, take a glance uh, uh, at the Word of God and just keep going about my day. That's not going to give you happiness. If you look what verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. David writes a very deliberate uh, direction to happiness. The very first thing, he will not walk with the ungodly. It is, and this happens so, so simply for us. It is, he's not saying don't avoid sinners, all right? He's not. We are a church. We surround ourselves with needy, hurting, broken people like we are. We, we show the love of Jesus. He's not saying avoid sinners. What he's saying is when you walk, counsel. What, he, what he's saying is when you walk by people and you hear a thought, you hear someone say, hey, you just need to, you need to do this or you just need to do that. As you're walking by, it's a passing comment where you just take it and you begin to ponder it. And you ponder it outside of the Word of God instead of taking it into the Word of God. What he's saying is when you surround yourself with people who are, who are broken, and we, we should all have broken friends. We're, we're a mission organization. We, we reach to, to redeem the broken and the hurting. It should be the, the safest place in the world for the most broken people. But as, as we do that, we make sure that the Word of God is the greatest influence in our heart, not the counsel of the wicked. And so we, it's a place of influence. The second thing that he says is he says, don't sit or, stand, or stand in the way of sinners. That ultimately what, what happens, and this is the slippery slope we all talk about, we hear something, we entertain the idea, uh, and we know that it's not... A, 
apart from the Word of God. I mean, we know that it's not uh, confirmed in the Word of God. We know that it, it's not what God desires for us. But we entertain the idea, and then all of a sudden, we participate one or two times. Right? We walk back. We, we like what we heard. We want to hear some more. So we walk back in that direction. The third thing he says is you, you sit. You know that sitting? We all do this. Sitting is the most passive thing that most of us do. To sit is to become identified with the wicked. It is to not only just let them influence your heart and you keep going back to that same source, but it's to sit right there. You understand that, that if you identify with sinful behavior, sinful habits, you identify with, all right, man, I, this, is, this is who I am. There is, no, there is no Jesus. There is no moving in me. You identify. You will not experience happiness. Like, there, there, it's very deliberate. You cannot experience happiness and entertain the ideas of the wicked and continue to walk in their path and then to sit and be identified with them. Now, we are mission people. We, we want to draw those work with them that God would redeem their hearts as we have them over into our homes and our kids play together, that God that they would experience the reality of happiness, that happiness is possible. But we don't allow them to influence our heart. And the reason for that, as you look at uh, verses 2, he says, but his delight, the happy man, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he, ded- he meditates day and night. That happiness comes from the delighting in the Lord and meditating on his law, his word, Day and night. Why don't you just think about something? You are born with uh, delights, right? And, and if you have grandchildren or you have young kids, you just just picture yourself in this way. Uh, some days they like green beans. Other days you stick green beans on them, and it is just a recipe for a food war in your house, right? Chaos. Like the next day, you can give them bread, and they don't touch it. The day after that, they eat three pieces of bread. Just back and forth, back and forth, because they have delights for certain tastes, that they enjoy certain things in those moments. The, the reality is this, is that when you were born, that every part of you was crafted together by God, that he placed in you delight and the desire for things. That longing for happiness, that's not, that's not what makes you human. That makes you created in the image of God because he put that delight in you. I mean, you think about this. God wanted you so much to enjoy him and to, to know him with happiness. The reason you desire new things and you, you desire happiness in your family, the reason that we want mama to be happy is because God placed a desire to delight within us. And he put it within us so that we would be able to enjoy him. And so our, our goal, very deliberate, this is not one of these things that just falls in your lap, very deliberate is to wake up every day. Andy Andrews makes the same. He said, I just, it's one of his seven, seven decisions. Today, choose to be happy. Every day, wake up, choose to delight in what God is doing. Choose to delight in the word of God. When it's easy, when it's difficult, when there's not enough time and you got too much time to delight yourself in the Lord. Sometimes that's just sitting. But then he says, the second thing he says to meditate day and night. Meditate, the delighting is, is God placed in us. The meditating is our responsibility. You want to enjoy happiness. It's going to take work. And the, 
you meditate on the Word of God day and night. That's not just a, uh, we kind of take that literal sometimes, that, okay, when you have a morning devotion and an evening devotion. No, when David said this, everybody knew what it meant. It meant from the time you rise to the time you go to bed, that in every thought and in every action, may the Word of God, this Word, penetrate everything that you do. That you would, you would meditate so much in this Word and memorize the Word, to study the Word, to, to be so in-depth and in tune with the Word of God that when every decision came up, you couldn't make that decision apart from looking through the lens of Scripture. It's almost as, you know, the national treasure, those, those glasses, you know what I'm talking about, where you look on the back of the Declaration of Independence and there's just this crazy map, Benjamin Franklin's bifocals. Nobody watch. All right, leaving me to dry up here. And so puts those bifocals on. It's, it's what David's saying here. Happiness comes when we, we put on the word of God so that in everything, that, the way we see people, the way we see conversation, that we see it through the lens of Scripture. And that's not going to come, you know, like, uh, it's not going to come just on Sunday morning, you know, the, the 30 minutes we get to kind of shower in the word of God together. Not, not, not going to come with you just having a, a quiet time in the morning and running throughout the day. It, it's going to be very deliberate on your part to plant yourself, to delight yourself in the Lord, to meditate in His Word. I, I'm going to challenge you. Psalms 1 has got six verses. One of the, the more easier, the way that it's designed to memorize. I'm going to challenge you. There's seven days till next Sunday. I'm going to encourage you to read Psalms 1 seven times every day. Work, work on not just reading it, but work on memorizing it. Right, let's just start there. Very easy. Six verses kind of flows in nature. Because we want to be a people that when we look at the, the brokenness and the hurt and when we walk by people and we hear things that are not, ah, uh, that doesn't just sound right, that we can identify that, we can still love them, but we are not influenced by that. We are influenced by the Word of God today. And here's why I'm going to say that. C.S. Lewis, he made this statement. He said, all that we call human in history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, and slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us and invented us as man. And as a man invents an engine, a car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel of our spirits, were designed to burn, or the food of our spirits were designed to feed. There is no other. The reason you cannot find happiness apart from delighting in the Lord, meditating on His law day and night, is because the same God who crafted you in delight, He created you to run on Him. And if you try to find happiness in, in, in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in another person, in an experience, it's like putting water in your gas tank, and we all know what that would be. You're trying to run on something you were not made to run on. We see this in the garden. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God made Adam and Eve, and everything was perfect. Everything was good. I mean, if you imagine this, like uh, the lions, this is my favorite part. The lions would have walked up and walked with Adam. Like he would have had no fear of the lion. The lion wasn't trying to bite his head off. Right. 
you know, there's no need to like mount a grizzly on your wall because like the grizzly just walked with you. Everything was right and perfect. In Genesis, Genesis 3, Satan, he comes up and he talks to them. He's in the form of a snake. He talks to, to Eve. And Adam's right there. And he said, did God really say that you couldn't eat of, of the tree? Eat of that fruit. He began to, to make Eve and Adam question if their source for happiness really came from God. You, you see this. It was kind of a, an in-between balance. I wonder if, if God really loves me enough or God really is the only source for happiness. And then he began to say, no, God didn't want you to eat of the fruit because it was evil. But, but if you eat of the fruit, you will know the difference between good and evil. So what Satan did was he got them in the middle and then he offered them something that looked very appealing to be like God, to, to know the difference between right and wrong and good and evil. And very quickly, Adam and Eve took of the fruit and they ate it. And all of a sudden, they looked for their happiness from a fruit of knowledge instead of in the who that created them. And ever since Genesis 3, throughout Scripture, David is a man, you know, uh, sleeps with another woman. He, he does some things that he, he repents of, but just difficult. Where all throughout his life, he was wrestling to place his source of happiness in who created him instead of what was in front of him. And the challenge for you and I is a very deliberate action to say, you know what, regardless of what I've got, regardless of what I don't have, happiness is attainable. It's possible. But it's only going to come because I delight myself in the Lord and I meditate in His Word. There is no source of happiness outside of that. As we, we sang earlier, just there's nothing but Jesus that will satisfy the greatest longing of my heart. I, I look around this room, there, there are people who have lost husbands, there are people who have had miscarriages, there are people who are wanting uh, children who wrestle with infertility, there are people with broken marriages, there are people with runaway children. Like, in this room, we are all broken people, and the same is true for every single one of us. There is no one but Jesus who will provide the happiness that we crave and that we long for. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the joy that you provide, the happiness that you provide. Lord, I, I thank you that inside all of us, you placed a, a desire for something great, something beautiful, something to enjoy. God, I, I pray in these moments as we, where we come before you as, as just broken people, desperate. Some of us, some of us have it going on right now, but we're, we know inside there's, Lord, it, the tank's running dry. Lord, you, you alone can satisfy. You alone can, can take our, our emptiness of what we, we've placed in trying to, to fill a, a gap, trying to, to reach or obtain happiness apart from you. Only you can, can meet that need. Lord, I, I pray in this moment for 
but we're, we're going to respond. God, I, I know in your word that, that altars were signs of, uh, of just surrender, that altars were, were signs where people just, they went to pour their heart out of just, God, I want you in worship and in adoration. And if you're in this room, to respond. Right? You got a place up here on the floor. You can just come get on your knees and just say, God, I, I surrender. I want to delight myself in you. I, I want to deliberately take steps, plant my steps to the streams of living water. Some of you just come in repentance. We're, we're all broken. No need to hide. Some of you in this room, you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to hang out up front. I don't do that often, but I'm going to hang out up front. As we sing, you be bold enough to say, you know what, I'm broken and I want to have a relationship with Jesus. You just, as we sing, I want you to come and just grab my hand. We'll, we'll talk. It'll be the greatest day of your life. The rest of you, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. I'm going to challenge you to to sing at the top of your lungs a declaration of your soul there is none but Jesus Father we thank you for these moments thank you for time to gather together Lord I, I pray that we would respond in obedience I pray Lord that you would continue to work in our hearts Father that we be a people of your word we ask these things in your holy name